I'm Laura. And I'm Haley. And we're two art teachers in a classroom teacher world. We have a special guest for you guys today. We have Jen Ferrari. She's going to share some things about TAB or Teaching for Artistic Behavior, which I know is a big topic in the art education world. And there's lots of questions that float around with this. So, um, Jen, we're so excited to have you here. Do you want to share with our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure, I'd love to. Hi, everyone. So, as they mentioned, my name is Jen Ferrari, and I actually teach in Massachusetts. I'm a grades three to five uh, art educator in the town of Bedford. And um, I do have experience, though, at the high school level. I taught for a while um, in Northbridge, Mass, at a high school before I left to raise my kids. So, I, I have a wide um, variety of experience with levels, but I also currently serve as the president of Teaching for Artistic Behavior Incorporated. Um, and there's some confusion sometimes, even among the TAB educators that we work with, just about like what that is. So TAB Inc. is basically the nonprofit organization that guides the mission and vision of the pedagogy of TAB. So that is what we do um, as part of the nonprofit. So that's just a little bit about um, myself. Great. Yeah. So for our listeners who may not know, like, can you give us a little bit more information about what TAB is or like what that looks like? Sure. Well, teaching for artistic behavior is a pedagogy and approach to art education. And there's really three pillars of the um, philosophy. So the first is that the child is the artist. The second is the classroom is the child studio. And the third is that the learning in the um, curriculum in the classroom focuses on the question, what do artists do? So a lot of people, um, when they first start finding out things about TAB, um, it's very related to a choice-based art education. For a long time, they were inseparable. Um, mm -hmm. But over the years, um, and especially with the books, which um, one of them is engaging learners through art making, um, that have come out, there's another, the learner directed classroom, there became more of a structure that went along with it. Um, and it is something that I think more teachers that are of the elementary level tend to um, utilize more of what's in these books. But tab is something that can be across different grade levels. Um, so people that we work with at the secondary level a lot of times in high schools, there's like single media classes. So that's like your ceramics or the sculpture or um, printmaking, digital, you know, photography. Um, but there are ways to approach that philosophy, even with single media. So a lot of times um, there's a lot of misconceptions about TAB is that it has to be full choice all the time. And that is uh, not true. And one of the things that I think about myself is that there are some things that I want my students to be able to have access to, um, whether it's a skill builder or to see an artist, some sort of um, experience that I want them to have. So there are these chances for the teacher to be able to add in things based on what their students need in the moment. So there is a continuum of choice. Um, my, sometimes like I'll speak from my own um, experience in my three to five classroom, sometimes we'll have a skill builder where every kid in the class is doing one skill builder to build a skill of some kind. Um, but then other days where we have open studio, 
they can either use that skill that they have and I call it their artist toolbox, so their mind, um, or they can pursue something else that is of intrinsically motivating to them. Um, so there is a wide range of choice in tab classrooms. And the way that I like to think about it and the way I talk to people about it when I do like professional development is that tab is a pedagogy that facilitates and maximizes student choice. So while it not, might not be like all the time choice, you are trying to maximize the amount of time that they have to make their own um, decisions and guide their learning in the classroom. Because that's what it's really all about, because they are the artist. I like that. Yeah, I like that last part. Because yes. <laughs> then it makes me think like, I might be doing some of that without mm -hmm. even realizing it by like mm -hmm. giving my students like certain choices within the the unit that we're doing or the mm -hmm. skill that we're teaching but then they have choices like within that you know constraint but I think you know lots of like you said a lot of art teachers think of it as like the same thing as choice-based and just completely open-ended all the time and that can be really overwhelming to think about um, mm -hmm. how would you you would about setting up an art room for tab, like whether it's, you know, the certain materials or the spaces, equipment, furniture, or mm -hmm. maybe how you approach it with teaching your students, how does this work? Mm -hmm. Like, how would you think about starting it? Well, actually, uh, I'm in a pretty good place to kind of share my experience because right now, it is the beginning of the year for me still. We start in Massachusetts after Labor Day. So this is really the fourth week I've seen some of my students. Mm -hmm. um, my third graders come to me with no um, experience with TAB or um, really a lot of choice. There's choice within the projects that the previous teacher uh, gives to them, but it's not true choice where they are supplying the ideas and then guiding their learning in the studio. So when they come to me as third graders, I really have to work and build from like that, you know, keystone and then move out from there. Um, so we take it very slow. And I think that if tab was something that you were interested in pursuing, because you, you um, really believe in the child being the artist and being able to be autonomous and drive their learning, then you are, you are allowed to go slow and to uh -huh. try things and um, to see what works and what doesn't. And to be completely honest, the way that a tab classroom is set up or the way that it functions is going to be completely unique to the situation that um, it, that you are in. So all teachers are different. All students are different. All administrators are different. Um, your environment will be different. So really um, there are suggestions I could make about like what I do in my space, but you might have a different situation. So you would have to modify what you're doing, but that's what's great about TAB is that it is so flexible in how you can approach it. As long as you keep in mind that all of the learning that the kids are doing and exploring that what do artists do, it's really centering on them. So it's a student-centered learner-directed approach to how this is done. And you can you know, vary what centers are introduced or how um, you go about how those are introduced 
or um, if you limit how many kids are in a center at a time, like for me, I think I would lose my mind if I had more than eight kids in clay at a time. So those, those are <laughs> things, those are things that you were working with. And, you know, everyone I think is trying to do what is best for their kids. For me, this is what has been working really well for them but it's a very specific way that I approach tab. So there's not like one way, like you don't have to open drawing and then from there you go to collage and then from there, like there could be a systematic way to do it, but it really is like, it's not a one size fits all at all. It's you have like an idea of what you want to do with your kids and you have to listen to them and hear about their needs. And sometimes you might have to, you know, go off in another direction because it's really about that emergent curriculum about where they are and where they want to go. So it's kind of a difficult question to answer, but it really, it, it takes into account how unique all of our situations are. And it's very responsive to that. So that's why I think it's a really like a contemporary, really important best practice in art education. So I guess I have a question, but like I thought of this while you were talking so, like, mm-hmm. obviously the student's driving a lot of what they're doing and stuff. And then you mentioned, you know, not wanting too many kids in clay. I would feel the exact same way. So, <laughs> but you're going to have those kids that want to do the same materials all the time. How do mm-hmm. you keep them from doing that? Or do you let them do that? Yeah. So, you know, I've when I first started um, approaching TAB, I thought that I wanted to try to vary where kids we're going and to kind of encourage them to try different things. And I do do that through those skill builders I was mentioning and other like demonstrations where you're showing um, the kids like, oh, there is a material and this is what it could do. Um, mm-hmm. So there are ways to try to engage them in other things because that's what you want as a teacher to introduce things and then try to like have like that spark. Right. But for me, I realized afterwards that as an artist, like as myself as an artist, I don't necessarily work in a medium that I am not drawn to Mm -hmm. or comfortable with over time. So really we're developing and making artists. And there actually is a book um, by Melissa Pertay and um, Ian Sands called Making Artists. And they've also written the open, open art room. Um, and they, they write about it from a secondary perspective, but that is what I am doing as an art teacher. I'm not there to show them what I've done, what someone else has done. I mean, it's great to show artists that work contemporary because a lot of contemporary art is based on expression of ideas and, um, uh, different ways that we communicate through visual language. But really when they're going out in our program, like my program, I want them to develop their own voice. And in order to do that, I need to give them space to either if they want to really expand in one area to let that happen and then kind of sit back and ask questions about how I can push them further in what they are wanting to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I like that. Um, I just, I feel like I'm a sponge, like soaking up all this. I'm like taking notes. Like I'm learning so much about this. Um, if, 
you were mentioning a lot about like we are artists as the teachers and we're showing them like contemporary artists and all those things how do you find that like art history or like a strict curriculum set by your district how do you see that as being able to fit with tab with a tab classroom right so this is one of those those things those situations that I was referring to earlier about how all situations are going to vary. Mm -hmm. And sometimes like in my district, in my position, in my job, I have a lot of freedom. Um, and I am able to pursue, um, the curriculum in a way that supports the national core standards and my state standards, which by the way, um, the national core standards are very, um, in line, aligned with uh, tab, uh, like choice-based art and the process. So not to go on a side tangent, but um, tab is very process focused as opposed to product. Yes. So currently the national core art standards are very process focused in that, um, I'm, I know I'm gonna end up forgetting one, the creating, responding, uh, presenting and Oh man, <laughs> it's been either. the end of a long day. Hold on, I have right here. Connecting. So Connecting. all of those are <laughs> able to, you're able to highlight the process um, in what you're doing. So when you're writing curriculum, you can absolutely use the standards and be able to uh, write a curriculum that is responsive to both tab. And the way I do it is through the studio habits of mind. That's a whole nother um discussion right there yeah but um yeah so when you're thinking about you know what your limitations are it's okay to have limitations as a teacher and still want tab for yourself and for students because if you're going into this wanting the child to be the artist mm -hmm. and trying to make that like your primary goal then you can still be a tab teacher, even with limitations. There are ways to do it. Um, and I just don't want anyone to feel discouraged because I know it's harder in some situations than others. But like I said, it's a very flexible pedagogy in terms of like how you approach it. But the philosophy is the same. Yes. Yeah, so do you find that there could be like almost like a spectrum of how how much choice and how I guess like how or what tab looks like yeah what tab looks like like for different teachers like are some teachers doing it more to the extreme than other teachers depending on their situation I I think yeah I think I would say yes and I actually I have a podcast as well with a colleague her name is Abby Pato Bay and she for a very long time taught middle school and in her experience, modified choice worked best for her. And there's a number of reasons why, but it's, like I said, it depends really on your student population, you, your administration, your school community. Um, there's so many factors that play into it. But really, I mean, again, you're optimizing choice for your students because through choice, they can make decisions and become like in their own right, an artist. Mm -hmm. yes. So I think, 
it, you know, it's, it's challenging because as teachers, we face so many like roadblocks sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And what we want is not necessarily what we can have, but I think that especially now as, especially after the pandemic, um, so many people came to choice-based art education because we saw how valuable it was to students, yeah. especially in their different situations. Uh-huh. Um, I think I've seen such an increase in the creative ways that we've approached tab and choice. So I, I am looking forward to the future to see where else it goes. But as long as we hold true to those three tenants, uh-huh. you know, that's really what really is important. Okay, so you've got my wheels turning now, and I'm thinking of, like, what our curriculum looks like in our district, and I know, like, some there's some similarities and things that I've seen with other people in their districts. So, like, we have a specific, you know, style of art. Let's say we're teaching pop art to a grade level, and I know mm-hmm. this this obviously would not be as quick because you said you got to go pretty slow and stuff, but, like, overall, what are, like, some key points of, like, okay, I'm teaching my students about pop art. How do I go tab? on pop art you know so a long a long time ago when i taught high school i was a project-based teacher where i would design projects that were based on some sort of like historical art artist or like art event or you know something like that um and the way i approach it now is my curriculum is i it's full of um, the art world, but it, in a different way. So let me see if I can like briefly give an example. So for example, you were saying pop art. Um, I talk a lot about artists as they relate to um, studio thinking. So studio thinking, um, there's uh, two structures in studio thinking, which comes from uh, Project Zero from Harvard University. There's was research Um, done by Project Zero. And what came out of it was the studio thinking framework. Um, And the structures, one of them is the structure of an art class, how it's run. And then the other is what's happening, which is called uh, studio habits of mind. And those are eight um, habits that are developed in the art room or in a creative uh, space by artists that are practicing. So Mm -hmm. for me and my curriculum, I structure my curriculum on the studio habits so my third to fifth graders study different um i call them domains like artistic domains Mm -hmm. of um hand mind heart and community so in those domains we talk about the habits and how artists use them and the way i incorporate artists and art history and we talk about um like uh, visual thinking strategies and things like that so vts is that I talk about them during my teacher time, which is part of the studio structure. So my teacher time at the beginning of class is about five to six minutes. And it's where I share things with them that I think are really important to connect to the curriculum. So like if you were teaching pop art, that could be something you share over the course of one, two, three, however many days during teacher time where you're looking at art You're talking about the ideas of the artist, what they're expressing, what they're experimenting with, but through the lens of the studio habits. So for example, if you take, um, I don't know, throw an artist at me. Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol. 
So if you had Andy Warhol and you were showing some of the um, prints and photos that he would take, you could talk about ways that he stretched and explored with color or ways that he developed his craft by revisiting portraiture um, or ways that he uh, connected with other artists. Cause I know that he did a lot of work with um, Jean-Michel and I'm going to butcher the last name by accident, but I think it's Basquiat. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. But there are so many ways that you can connect artists to the curriculum without explicitly teaching their version of art. Because for me to have the child almost like replicate what someone else has done to me, that was not, that's why I said I needed to change the way I taught because I thought that I was not doing my job. Like what I I reflected. And I, I, at one point I thought, I don't know if I want to teach anymore if I have to teach like this, because I thought that I was doing a disservice to my students. So rather than getting them to create art that looked like, you know, Andy Warhol's, I was showing them artists that then could inspire their own way of going off. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that helps to make sense. No, of- I think so. Yeah. So I envision like you can kind of put little snippets of art history and artists and styles like within your teacher times. And then it's not necessarily like you're going to show them you have to do the specific um, idea for the project, but you well, you as in the students are going to come up with their own ideas completely like on their own, but they may or may not be pulling inspiration from those particular artists. Is that, would that be kind of how it would look? Yeah, I think that's a fairly good um, summary of it. Yeah. And the other thing to remember is that, um, or not remember, but to, to say, is that a lot of tab teaching is also spontaneous on the moment, in the moment. So for example, if you are, you know, talking about Andy Warhol, and then uh, during your teacher time, and then you go out into the studio, and you see that a student has really latched onto the color or the way that they've created the, the composition or something related to what you're talking about, you can absolutely go further into it by either showing more examples of Warhol or you can show them other examples of other pop artists that were similar, or you could even go off in a totally another direction and say, look at this type of pop art, because it's one of those things where if you're going to have an emergent curriculum that's related to what the kids are interested in intrinsically, you really need to be like always on the ball. And I, I compare a lot of our, the teaching that I do to improvisation. Um, only because you have to be so totally prepared if you were going to go into improvisation um, of any kind. And I actually wrote an article that was just published in uh, Art Education. So if anyone gets the yeah the bi-monthly, yeah, bi-monthly or I forget. There's like two ways to say bi-monthly and I don't know, <laughs> but it comes out every it comes out every other month, but the one from July of this year, um, I published an article called Yes, Please. And it talks a lot about how a framework that we can use as, from, from a choice and tab perspective, but really anybody could use the things in that framework to help to be more in the moment with your students to respond to their needs. So 
I highly recommend reading it just because I think it, if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't know what she's talking about, it would be very helpful <laughs> to a little bit more into it because it, I think it really could be a good way to approach any type of um, uh, uh, teaching in art. So kind of, I think this is like really fascinating to hear about all of this. If we had any listeners who are listening to this and they're like, Okay, I that is right up my alley. I want to try. Not sure if it's exactly what I want to do. Mm-hmm. What kind of advice would you give them for just starting out? If you had, you know, more of a traditional curriculum way of teaching pedagogy, but mm-hmm. then you want to try to start this tab thing. <laughs> Absolutely. So, well, the first thing I will say is don't get overwhelmed. Yeah, (laughs) there's a there's a lot of things for me, I had to like research everything before I really jumped in. Some people feel opposite. They're like, I just I want to try it and then kind of learn as I go. So take it at your own pace. Um, But if you're interested in learning more, um, you there are many, many resources. The first I would say is you could visit the website, uh, which is teachingforartisticbehavior.org. And while you're there, I mean, there's all kinds of resources that are there as well as information about the history of TAB and other things. Um, But there's also a little blue button in the corner that says join our community. Mm -hmm. So if you click it, it'll take you to um, a platform, a virtual platform called Mighty Networks. And it's sort of like Facebook, but if you took out all of the puppies and kittens and politics (laughs) and all that stuff. And it's only a community of tab educators or people who are interested in tab and choice that want to learn from each other. And it's free. And there's um, a whole bunch of really cool things there where you can also search for people in your geographic area. So this way, yeah. So if you wanted to go observe someone or connect with someone who is local to you, or sometimes people are creating, um, because tab is an incredibly grassroots movement. Um, the, people do like localized PD. So there's lots of stuff there. Oh, that's great. Yeah. But if there's also books, so if you're more of like the, I'm going to just do this on my own pace by myself mm-hmm. for a little bit to research, there's um, two books I recommend. One's Engaging Learners Through Art Making. And that was written by uh, Catherine Douglas and Diane Jakewith, who are both the co founders of TAB. Um, there were others involved as well, but they were really the ones that literally wrote the book. Um, (laughs) And then there's also a book, if you're interested in finding out more about the studio habits of mind and the studio thinking framework, there's an excellent book or two books, actually. If you're in uh, like K to eight or elementary, then I would recommend studio thinking from the start. And then if you're in secondary, um, there's a third version of a book called studio thinking, the real benefits of visual arts education. Um, So both of those are really good ways to approach um, curriculum, assessment, how to think about the teaching of art um, and what you're doing with your kids. And I think that's, well, there's also my podcast uh, that I run. (laughs) My next question is like, where can can listeners find you? Because you are just full of knowledge and I know like our listeners are going to want to know like where to find you, where can they, we'll link all these resources in our 
um, in our little recap that we put on our blog for you. And we can link these books for people too, um, just if you're listening out there. Um, but where can we find you if they're looking to find you and learn more? Sure. So our, our podcast is called Tab Storytellers. And I mentioned before, but I'd like to just give a shout out to uh, Dr. Abby Pato Bay, who is my co-host along. And uh, we have the most amazing conversations with all kinds of um, art teachers, researchers, um, administrators, community members. Um, and the conversation is very, it's very much like this, where it's just sort of people talking and learning from one another and sharing insights. And we'd love to have more people join us. Uh, we publish once a month, or at least we have been publishing once a month. So um, <laughs> even with busy schedules, but yeah, we have a whole bunch coming up. And like I said, we have a lot of really cool people. So highly yeah, that, recommend. That sounds like a great resource. We need to check it out. Yeah, we do. Yeah. yeah. So um, I don't think I have any more questions unless you do, Haley. I do not have any more questions. I have learned so much just from this short conversation with you. I'm really excited to like research a little bit more and find out yeah. what, what I can yeah. do in my classroom. Too. Yeah, I agree. Um, so we just want to thank you again, Jen, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. And we hope that you have a good rest of the school year with your kiddos as well. You know, you just got started. <laughs> It'll be here before you know it. It always does. It's always so fast. I know. We're already getting ready for our fall break. So we oh started back at the very beginning of August. So we oh, we wow. feel tired. <laughs> <laughs> To say the least. <laughs> Rightly so. Yep. Well, thank you so much for having me on. It was really a lovely conversation. And um, yeah, you'll have to maybe come join us on ours sometime. Yes, we'd love awesome. to. Yeah. yeah, thanks for joining <laughs> us. We hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation with Jen Ferrari. Um, if you are not already right. following us on social media, you can find us at TikTok at Blending the Rules Podcast One, Instagram and Threads at Blending the Rules Podcast, and our blog, BlendingTheRules.com. And if you haven't joined already or checked it out, you can join our Blending the Rules crew. We're meeting every month through the school year, and we're having some really awesome conversations. It's so nice to meet with other art teachers who know what it's like to be, you know, thrown into this education world where nobody understands us except us. Yeah. And the two meetings we've had so far, we talked about classroom management and then um, English language learners. And our next meeting is actually October 19th. So it is very soon. If you want to get in on that and join us for that conversation, head on over to our website to sign up.